0: You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 188 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode we are going to focus a bit more directly on the wonderful art of alchemy. But before we get this show on the road, I just want to say that you can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. And for whatever amount you want, you can get access to behind the scenes, rants, special recordings, deleted material, a bunch of stuff. As well as access to these episodes way before they are actually released. There's a link in the program notes of this episode to make it easy for you. I want to thank Cora and Joseph for becoming patrons. Okay, so as I said, in this episode, my guest is an alchemist and an author, no offense. Yes, that's his name. No offense, but that's his name. Uh, He has recently written the book Philosophical Preparation of Cannabis Sativa, Quintessence of the Great Cain. So thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for inviting me.
0: So can you tell the listeners who you are and what you do? Well,
1: I'm an alchemist. I uh, work in a laboratory. I work with a group of other uh, alchemists in a virtual lab ring. And we uh, share information when we can. And uh, try and bring the information out so other people can use it, develop it.
0: You work a lot in the lab. What, in alchemy, There, and there might be listeners who are not that familiar with all the details, but uh, are you working in, in, uh, in the lab with uh, only plants or minerals or, or all of it?
1: Well, I work with, with all of it. It's uh, just a matter of how uh, you would divide up the plants, the animals and the minerals. And uh, yes, I work with mineral plants, not so much uh, animals.
0: Do you connect it with any spiritual alchemy work when you do lab work?
1: Uh, yes, definitely. It's To me, it's all part of the same process. There's uh, the philosophical principles and uh, that guide you in the lab and uh, the philosophical elements that you receive in the lab, knowing what they are and how to deal with them so that you can put them together and reassemble them in, into... Uh, uh, well, we call them quintessence, elixirs, stones. It's a, a, a very therapeutic presentation of what you started with, usually with like plants. We'll say that whatever plant you start with, whatever natural uh, therapeutic value it has, when you uh, process it alchemically, chemically, you, you refine and concentrate that power and make it useful without uh, any poisonous side effects.
0: So what's your personal agenda when you when you do alchemy? What's your goal?
1: Oh, my goal is to uh, stay healthy and alive as long as I can.
0: Do you think it's possible with alchemy to achieve immortality?
1: I think it's possible. I definitely do. There's a lot of lore written about that. And, you know, it's... It's almost it's mostly a legendary level of material, but I personally uh, believe that there's no reason why we should die of old age. You know, other than you know that the problems with erosion of your body parts and the collection of just too much waste material finally wears you out. Uh, there's, I believe ways to extend it. According to the Chinese alchemists, uh, it's possible to live for around a thousand years in your physical body by uh, having the right uh, life practices and the right diet. But eventually your body will give out your physical body and they refer to a light body, not just them, but uh, other uh, other branches of philosophy, too. But in alchemy what we do is we try to uh, awaken, awaken the light body, the, uh, the subtle body sometimes they call it, the immortal fetus they called it, uh, the Chinese, which have a, have a lot of detail about that. That's more of an inner uh, look at the, the whole process of alchemy.
0: What are your thoughts on the concept of some sort of afterlife?
1: Well, you know, afterlife is merely speculation and belief, and it would be a matter of what, you, what had meaning to you and what you felt like believing. Add to that whatever experience you've had with, uh, like, uh, the uh, near-death experiences are, are a good example, where people were uh, clinically dead for a while, yet... During that period, they had uh, meaningful uh, experiences in their mind. Not everybody that that ends up in that state and comes back does, but many have. And they would have, those people have stories to tell, and I would say perhaps a a more refined or a broader understanding based upon their experience of what uh, a continuation after what appears to be the death of the body.
0: So... If, let's say, in theory, there is an afterlife, if you live for a thousand years in the body, aren't you just wasting time to move on to the next uh, adventure?
1: Well, that would be assuming that there's a next adventure. That would be assuming that, you know, uh, let's say reincarnation was a valid thing, and you could say, all right, I'm tired of this body, so uh, it's worn out, I'm just going to... do the best I can to the end, which, of course, there's nothing wrong with that. Everybody has to live out their life as they see fit. Now, for me, as far as alchemy and uh, the experience I was just talking about with uh, what you would maybe call a near death experience, I've had uh, the same similar type of experience from uh, alchemical uh, exercises and the taking of a proper dose of an alchemical quintessence. Opened up the same paths, only uh, uh, cogently and not in a uh, coma and without distortion. And you, experiences that some people have with uh, entheogen, psychedelic drugs, uh, you know, shaman experiences, they are uh, getting you into the same theater, I like to call it, the celestial theater, but from a different avenue, with a different uh, level of awareness about the, uh, the the place itself, where you're at, you know. With uh, sometimes it's a distorted vision with allegories; other times it can be starkly clear.
0: One more reference to this immortality discussion. Uh, don't you think it's just also a lot of psychological or emotional uh, heartache if you live for a thousand years unless all the people you love also live for a thousand years but if you if they don't then you'll just see everybody you know die around you
1: uh, yeah the longer you live that's exactly what's gonna happen you're gonna see people around you that you've known a long time die I'm I'm getting fairly old myself I've uh, most of my friends have passed on already due to old age, accident, what have you. Uh,
0: I see your point. Um, You've written a book recently. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: I wanted to uh, bring out concisely a, a whole avenue of alchemical operation in the laboratory that is more classical, in the approach than uh, the more modern interpretations not to say the modern is is not correct or doesn't do um, make good medicines but there's other approaches that haven't been uh, let's say made clearly available like the, some of the the newer spagyric type of uh, teachings that have been around for about a hundred years now with uh, people uh you know teaching how to perform these operations, like in a classroom setting, where you can learn. That hasn't happened with the older classic material, like Hollandus, Ripley, and uh, others going back to you know uh, into the myths of legend. Well, I wanted to attempt to tie in the philosophy from, let's say, the uh, the uh, from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega. Uh, the philosophy and the elements. Alchemy is a is a complete uh, a system of philosophy. It it doesn't need to draw anything in from the outside. Like, uh, but there's nothing wrong with like do, using kabbalistic interpretations. In, you know, of some aspects of alchemy, or you know, even Jungian type of psychological interpretations. But alchemy doesn't really need that. The philosophy goes back to, uh, you know, a, a, a primal original beginning with, uh, well, material that gets talked about a lot in many ways, uh, the spirit and the soul, the spiritus mundi and the anima mundi of the universe, which I, I think the simplest way to get the uh, a general image of that is with the uh, eastern yin yang. And it shows the dynamic spin of two complementary opposites that make a whole and in the middle of one where you think it's all one thing is a spark of its opposite and that is is, uh that to me is is the beginning of alchemy the beginning of the universe the emerald tablet talks about that in a more uh, technical way i believe
0: so this book you've written, what material have you been using as uh, as the base?
1: Oh, 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 well, the the book I wrote was about the alchemical or philosophical preparation of an herb, cannabis sativa. It's been around in the history of humanity for as long as people have been able to. Uh, write down their ideas or express them in one way or another For so for thousands of years and I happen to live in uh, California in a state where it's uh, legal to do what I do and it's uh, for medicinal use and I follow the rules of the state laws so uh, I can I can carry out this research and I'm happy to be able to do it
0: so in your book if you would follow the whole process. What would you end up with? Is it uh, is it uh, like a uh, psychological or a physical healing uh, elixir, or what is it?
1: Generally called uh, by the old timers, hollandists used this word a lot, but so did others. A quintessence, and uh, when it's finished, it's a long, involved process requiring a lot of uh, uh, skill in the laboratory. A lot of you know, processes that are used by uh, chemistry has been for, you know, for, for many, many centuries. Other processes require, uh, you know, following them require a more intuitive uh, approach to what you're, 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 you're out to, uh, to capture about in the process. And in the end, if it's done right, you end up with a, a deep red colored ruby red colored material that is hard like amber when it's cold. If you you heat it up, it flows like sealing wax and uh, it is it will liquefy in water in a few minutes and then you stir the water up and it takes it over. It has almost no uh, taste or smell. But when you put it in your system, you immediately get a refreshing enlivenment. And for me, it's a a opening of like if you're you've been doing a lot of thinking and writing and your brain is getting fatigued. This this is like turning the light back on. The the fatigue is gone, but it's it's not a drug like effect at all. It's more like energy, like when you were ran down, tired and you had a good meal, had time to absorb it and you're ready to go again that's uh, that's how i would describe it and yes it does have a a decided spiritual effect if if you're a spiritual person otherwise you might not notice that at all you might just uh, notice a certain level of, of physiological relief from whatever conditions you were uh, suffering from
0: could you like apply your book to And any other material and just if you maybe you live in a country where you can't get hold of cannabis, could you just replace it with something else and still achieve the same results or does it need cannabis?
1: Uh, No, no. Cannabis is just one plant. I I work with it. It it actually is a perfect plant for alchemy because it's rich in the elements. And so for a smaller amount of uh, raw material, you get a lot more working material with which to make medicine. I've done it. I've made quintessences with several other plants. Uh, rose. Uh, I've used yerba santa. I've used uh, five herb combinations, seven herb combinations mixed together, for various. Uh, I'll pick if you have a, a certain condition you you want to focus on. You can take look around. You know, look at some herbal books and collect several different types of herbs and do the process on them all together. It doesn't have to be any one single herb. It can be a combination of them. And the process that I detailed is, is one of several uh, pathways using the same classical uh, methodology. And this one I, I, uh, I wanted to share with everyone because once you know this, the others can be uh, discovered in the lab when you're working.
0: Can a beginner... Read your book, or do you require some pre-knowledge?
1: I think a person would uh, require a little bit of pre-knowledge about it. They would You'd have to have some uh, interest in uh, what goes on in the laboratory. And if you have that kind of interest, uh, you should be able to read it and understand what is being uh, discussed there, because all the steps are 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 laid out um, in a simple manner that can be understood but if you don't have like a background in some form of chemistry or or uh let's say a, a a close art craft where you had to you know uh discipline yourself to working in a certain uh way then it might become more difficult and tedious and, and it would require uh Uh, you know, more depth of understanding. It's definitely not a beginner's way to go. That would be the uh, most of the spagyric courses would be the best way to go to get a a handle on uh, basic laboratory work so you could move on to more complex stuff. Like uh, some of the things I talk about in here in this, and this is the old way, is uh, destructive distillation of uh, biomass, plant material. And when you uh, distill something, heat it up enough to break it apart, you create toxic compounds. And these have to be properly dealt with. That's serious business. And the process is to remove the toxic compounds that are uh, reproduced in the same distillation from the actual therapeutic elements that you want to put together again. And the process of separation and purification can take months.
0: I mean most people who who uh, dive into alchemy it's usually from the spiritual perspective because it's fairly easy to understand even though it might be difficult regardless but when you go into the laboratory work uh it can be quite complicated mostly due to the language of all the text that you can read how what would you say to people who want to like you know somehow break apart the confusion and understand these alchemical texts more because it's so cryptic and uh, there's a lot of weird terminology.
1: Uh, Yeah, that is... It is hard to uh, get into the proper uh, mind frame of the philosophy and uh, you start with... The three principles body soul and spirit well most every uh esoteric uh, undertaking deals with those three principles the holy trinity alchemy deals with them too and when you talk about that stuff on a philosophical level people's minds open up their imagination uh you know forms images they get enthused inspired And they start thinking with uh, their active imagination as opposed to passive imagination, which is the result of uh, playing too many games on the video, watching movies, looking for. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. It's just passive entertainment. You look at something and you wait for information to flow your way and you sort the information. And we usually do that and call it entertainment. Sometimes it's work. But. That, that way is just one streak. That is stuff coming at you when alchemy wants you to re- realize that you have an active imagination and you don't need the screen of a computer or a, a movie or you know what have you. Your mind can do the whole thing. You can make uh, the same images. You can go and ponder whatever you want in the universe. And that is, uh, has been called the celestial theater. By the old alchemist. you know, maybe maybe I I, I developed that a little more from uh, some of what they were saying. Uh, notably, uh, Robert Flood and uh, Heinrich Kunrath were uh, uh, thinking along those ideas, and I, I I I really appreciated reading them, and that opened up a lot, a lot of uh, vistas in my thinking to try and integrate. The, uh, the theater of the mind, the celestial theater with the, the theater of your senses, you know, what you see in the real world and how you deal with that and how it so often gets corrupted by passive information being forced in on to your, your uh, senses until all you're doing is like uh, fighting a defense against material coming in and you don't really have a chance to uh, look at the bigger picture The bigger uh, philosophical issues and just let them play out quietly in your mind. You you know, you can't do it all the time, but uh, you need to practice both active and passive imagination in order for me and my, my my way of doing things in order to be more balanced in your approach overall.
0: So basically you can't really read like alchemy for dummies. There's, there's no short path. You re, If you want to understand the text and that, you're just going to have to uh, familiarize yourself with them until until you can see.
1: Well, that's what people keep trying to do, and it, it, it only has a marginal success. You can read these texts over and over and over over years. Some people get to the point where they can almost... Read a chapter and verse of, of one of their uh, favorite treaties, but they haven't really gotten into a laboratory to see if there's any, ver- you know, any way to uh, verify the philosophy with what you see in the lab, you know, uh, to prove it. Is it, it. Can it be proven if it's, if it's just a statement, I believe in God, for instance, and another person says, I don't believe in God. Well, that gets you nowhere because there's no means to prove it, to, to falsify one, one uh, uh, a premise over another with some actual experiments. And that is critical in alchemy. That's what makes it a, a, a mature philosophy that is complete unto itself, is that for every aspect of an idea of the philosophy that you come up with in your mind, you have to have a verification, a way to play it out in your real life And you know, uh, does it have a value, or is it just a a useless idea? In the laboratory, the the value of it is: can I make a medicine that's going to uh, improve my output in the celestial and terrestrial theaters? You know, and you'll at least that's how I look at it.
0: Somebody who is a trained chemist couldn't they look at what you do in the laboratory and just say, oh, that's just this. Chemistry concept and uh, or or can a, ch- a chemist just do alchemy without uh, being an alchemist or are are they completely different ways of approaching things
1: they they're two different uh, paradigms two different ways of viewing uh, a similar technical approach in alchemy it's fundamentally uh, the movement of what I, what I call uh, the quintessence, fifth force, which is in the alchemist. There's, five, there's four elements, you know, uh, earth, water, fire, air, and there's a fifth element. They call it the quintessence, which is life, the life force, whatever that is. And, uh, you know, lots have been written about that. And science has done a lot of study of what's alive and what's dead. But they don't really have a philosophy for dealing with uh, you know life as a as a tangible material to itself It's usually uh, just something that's alive has all these systems that function and so it's a description of life without actually delving into it where in alchemy you take something that uh, is alive or was alive and that's plant and animal we say minerals are too uh, these kingdoms are kingdoms of life and what we're doing is we're taking the life that was in one thing and we're uh, collecting what we can out of it and putting it into a new body where it will have a new function and that's uh, the philosophical principles uh are well mercury and sulfur spirit and soul and the alchemist looks at what's going on in the laboratory as, where is the soul spirit now? Where, where is it in this set of chemicals or these? And there's certain signs that you're looking for. And uh, you will be very careful not to lose the soul spirit in any one of those manifestations, be it a salt, a water, a oil, or, or uh, uh, an aroma. That can turn into uh, a, a, a uh, crystallize itself into a salt or a liquid, and that's uh, just some of the a- aspects. Now, a chemist would say, like, well, I'll give you an example of a sal ammoniac. Chemistry will say sal ammoniac is uh, uh, sodium, or not so. Excuse me, ammonium chloride, or they will say it is ammonium carbonate, and they these things these chemicals are have all sorts of good uses in baking and other things, but the alchemist would say that uh, the soul spirit of azoth rides on the armoniac uh, molecules and can change its shape. And if you try if you take the salt, we'll say salarmoniac of the alchemist that's properly prepared, and you want to analyze it and see what's in it, and you subject it to chemical analysis the spirit of it will be gone. That was active before, very subtly, that you can move around and cause various things to happen that just don't happen in a chemistry tube because they're using dead molecules. And you, with the by the dead, I mean these molecules, they have a certain amount of energy that they can react. And chemistry and physics have studied that very well. But life itself will travel with these molecules change them in any shape it wants to for whatever reason it comes up with, and uh, move on. And when the life is gone, as you know, when when, when the life leaves a body, you can analyze those chemicals there all you want, and uh, sure enough, they'll prove out to be uh, the same certain things time and time again. But the life was there has escaped them. And that's what we try and ponder in alchemy, uh, the movement of the life.
0: So how can you... Know if something is alive or dead when you're doing this
1: work. Well, I mean, you can get into uh, you know all sorts of uh, dark aspects of this too, like Frankenstein. Uh, you know, just Frankenstein's the story of an alchemist. Really, it's well well done, and it was a search for life and where it goes. And there was some dark side material to it. I prefer to work with herbs because uh, it's. It, to me, it, it, it's it's less poisonous, more wholesome working with herbs, and you end up you have to get the same uh, that the same philosophical elements if you're going to like move into what we were saying earlier, uh, the mineral realm as it's been divided out, which I I don't really see any any big difference between working starting with uh, a plant or an animal to go to the uh, mineral, except that. Uh, working with uh, animal products, you get into various negative aspects that that can haunt people. And I don't mean like ghost haunting. There's uh, blood, for example. Blood's a good uh, is is a a great candidate to use for alchemy, but it's uh, got all sorts of uh, you know these these negative aspects. Vampirism comes up, which you know is another mythology. And then you can work with urine, and uh, you can work with other parts too, but uh, most of the alchemists uh, preferred to work with uh, urine, and I think to some extent blood. I've worked with urine in the past, and uh, it's kind of a stinking mess to get uh, the same basic material that you get from a plant uh, with less uh, uh, unpleasantness that will, in the end, do the same thing. Would
0: you say that when you do a process and you get the poisonous material, is that, would you class that as dead material? Is that why it's poisonous?
1: It's, uh, it's, it's virtually inert matter. It only has enough soul spirit in it to uh, manifest its dead molecules. If it had no soul spirit, it wouldn't be there at all. It would be, have collapsed out of uh, this world into the microcosm. As uh, as I see
0: it. I think it's fascinating when you look at a seed. Because a seed looks kind of dead. I mean, it's hard. It's, you can't really investigate it being alive as easy as a mouse or a human being. But it must be alive even though it's sleeping. Because as soon as you put it in the ground, it starts growing. So it's like the life force in a seed must be... Uh, very condensed because it can become a huge tree or whatever
1: yeah, exactly it's a very mysterious uh, thing life force, it doesn't seem to um, really be dependent upon uh, space or time or any particular uh, uh, material the body changes, it evolves from one thing to another, you know, there's so many different creatures on this planet you know there's bacteria that that can live at uh, over 250 300 degrees and uh, it's alive there's i've read that there's bacteria that have been uh taken out of rocks deep from the earth that are over a billion years old and they've uh, processed them, put some nutrient on it, and the bacteria started growing again. So, you know, it, it is amazing how the life force can be uh, protected and held in such a a small seed. And in and working in the lab, we we with plants, which I work with mostly. Uh, that's what I start with. You. The plant was alive, and you can take. There's very. There's two ways of doing it. Holland just, uh you know, made them of, uh, wrote them up in detail. One, you can take the plant alive, kill it, chop it, <clears throat> kill it. Excuse me, don't chop it up, kill it, and stuff it into a vessel and immediately distill it. Another way is to let it dry peacefully in the shade till it's completely dry, and then uh, you process it. Either way, the belief is that or the premise, is that the life force, because the plant was alive, there is an abundance of soul spirit beyond what the molecules need to uh, react in a chemical way. There is enough residual soul spirit that an alchemist can collect it out of there under the certain processes, and then when he's got it concentrated and purified, you can put it into another body, and that becomes your quintessence or your stone, and what it does in that body is not is uh, not the same as when it was a plant. It has the same healing power that I've seen. You know, every every one I've made uh, quintessence or stone out of a specific plant, it always had the same uh, feel and effect of that plant, just without any of the side effects, the taste, and straight to the uh, the effect you wanted. In fact, uh, I can give an example of. Uh, of a quintessence, like the, the cannabis one, for instance, if you uh, dissolve about 60, sixty-five milligrams into an ounce of water, and then you pour about two mils of uh, shisandra uh, tincture onto onto it, the shisandra will immediately uh, it will cloud the the uh, the quintessence for a brief second and then uh, it'd be a light colored cloud and then an oil rises to the top of the quintessence a a uh, a golden caramely oil that that smells so exquisitely delicious of uh the sassandra. it's uh and then you stir that in and take it in and you get the uh, the full effect of that um, tincture There was just a simple tincture but because it was put into the quintessence it had now had its uh it's a uh, soul spirit extracted concentrated and taken to the top of the quintessence that's what i've noticed it does it do that with uh, various herbs it always we put in you can put a cruder extract into it and it will make that into a higher medicine too and if you don't add anything to it it still has the same therapeutic power of the plant it was made from
0: wouldn't it be ideal to use as your starting matter The seed of cannabis, then, maybe that's more the life force is condensed in it rather than uh, using the grown plant.
1: Well, the seed has a certain destiny. I mean, you can take the seeds. People do it all the time. There's whole industries made around uh, marijuana and hemp. And uh, the seeds are quite nutritious. You sprout them and eat them. they're, They're delicious. They're really good for you. You can uh, grind them up. I, I used to grind them up and uh, mix them with uh, dates and raisins and nuts and eat that. So, yeah, you can use the seeds. But the seed itself, uh, it wants to grow into a plant, mature, live out its life, you know, just like, a, a you know, a person. You start out a seed, you know, then you go through, I don't know, five, six, seven years of hell trying to sort out uh, how to take care of your most basic bodily functions so you can get on with your life and, uh, you know, follow your uh, dreams and destiny. I've never worked with the seed directly to process uh, alchemically.
0: Has there been work done with, like, semen, for instance?
1: Uh, There's people that do that, I suppose. Yeah, sure there are, but, you know, I'm not... uh... From what I understand, you know, there's people that will uh, take semen and subject it to the same laboratory techniques there's others that think that they don't have to do that they can and uh, just uh, put it directly into the inner circulation which is a another thing I haven't really discussed here to get the maximum effect from any of these alchemical medicines you you have to have activated your own inner circulation because without it when you take the The quintessence, you can't separate the uh, soul-spirit excess directly from the molecule that it's writing on and put it directly into your uh, spinal column. And once it's in there, you can pull it straight up into your brain and start activating. There's uh, four fields there that have to be opened up before you can uh, peer deeper into uh, the mystery. And that's what was uh, often called the uh, immortal fetus. The light body. My experience with it, uh, having opened it with uh, alchemical preparations, and before that, I had done it with uh, entheogens. You know, I, I used to practice uh, some uh, uh, shaman type of techniques used by the Huichol Indians of uh, Mexico, using morning glory and uh, other type of entheogens. And, uh, you know, you go through the whole process. I grew the morning glory seeds. I extracted the, the LSA. That's a, uh, a, a slightly weaker version of LSD. I took it according to the fasting, and uh, that's when I had my first, uh, what I would call a lucid exper- ex- experience of the microcosm and its connection with the macrocosm. And, uh, I can compare that with taking the, uh, quintessence, which I made from cannabis this time, uh, so much more control and so much more cognizance awareness of what was going on in my body, the channels that were open, the fields that were open in the mind and the connection between the two was just overwhelmingly, uh, profound. And so... I, just, I stick with that. I haven't used a, uh, an entheogen as such in uh, many decades. I just use the alchemical preparations because they're, I can fine-tune them much better without the usual distortion that comes from a, uh, a crude herbal extract.
0: But what about making a quintessence of the entheogen? Have you tried that?
1: Well, I consider uh, cannabis to be an entheogen, so yes, but I haven't tried it with uh, any others, no.
0: Yeah, that's true, and uh, the reason most people don't realize that is because they usually, when they use cannabis, they use too little of it when they smoke a joint rather than maybe a lot to have a full-on entheogenic experience, you know?
1: Yeah, to get the entheogenic experience, uh, you would have to have a very strong form. I mean, you you can make extracts of it and take it and get the theogenic experience, uh, very profound in fact. You, you can experience with a, uh, a cataleptic state, which is almost like a coma, where uh, you're perfectly aware of everything that's going on around you, but you cannot move. And you can be in a terrible panic in that state, Or you can be calm and lucid and uh, have the entheogenic experience, not like, uh, you know, more psychedelic material like, say, mushrooms or uh, uh, LSD, which uh, for me, they always have a certain like amount of static, like trying to tune in a a radio station that's just a bit uh, too far away and you can't get quite get rid of that noise in the background. You don't get that with cannabis.
0: So what is your book called and where can people get it?
1: It's a <clears throat> Philosophical Preparation of Cannabis Sativa Quintessence of the Great Cane and you can get it at Amazon. I uh, built the whole thing at Amazon because I uh, I'm not out to promote books. I used to write under different names and went through the whole process, publishing, go out on the road, you know, and uh, and promote the book. This, I just honestly, I want, wanted to get the information out so that people could have it. Because if I keep it a secret and I move on to whatever I'm going to do, you know, beyond uh, uh, caring about here and now, I'll have taken everything with me that I knew. But if I leave something here, to me, this the process is worthwhile. I I do it all the time. I swear by it. It's uh, keeping me alive and keeping my mind uh, sharp. And uh, I also, you know, I threw in my own, you know, quirky interpretation of uh, the gods, food of the gods, incense, creation of uh, humans and religion and all that stuff. I, I, I just put a spin on it that I've spent years seeing myself. Starting like, oh, 20 years ago, I did a lot of research for a book on uh, marijuana and magic and religion. And that's when I first uh, started discovering this stuff goes way back. And these, uh, these old gods, I don't know who these people were, but these, these people that were around then, they thought they were real. They were scared to shit of them. They got enslaved by them, you know, and it tells a hell of a story. And so I told the story the way I think it uh, sounds the best. Yeah, but I said it was that, you know, it's a it's a different interpretation of the mythology. And why I did that is because the connection with cannabis and uh, the gods and the, the myths that say the gods created humans because they had a revolt among themselves because some one group got to do too much work and they revolted. So they came up with this idea of making humans. Now, that's what the texts say. That's mythological texts. But from that, you get uh, the three major religions in the world and, you know, the whole of human uh, history where the creation is usually involved some uh, actual uh, characters, usually humanoids that come along. I don't say that there's any proof one way or another on it. I just tell the story. And uh, it had to do with cannabis all the way. These people were growing cannabis. I, honestly, I've talked to uh, anthropologists who have said that in the times of the hunter-gatherers, where nobody had any language and they traveled in small groups, they found their ancient catches that had uh, cannabis seeds and dried bits of mushroom. And, and uh, the mushrooms, they, they say these things probably had more uh, trade value because they uh, they they had psychoactive value and pain-killing value. Anyway, it's been around a long time.
0: Great. So I'll post some links to your book uh, in the program notes. Uh, thank you a lot for taking the time to be on the podcast.
1: Well, you're welcome, and thanks for having me, and I hope uh, it made some sense to to you. I'll
0: post an Amazon link in the program notes for those interested in this book. Now for the track Legalized by the Rebelites. Smoke your way over to rebelites.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more of their music. But as suggested, it might be better to eat it rather than smoke it. Anyway, as Rumi says, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Next Sunday, regardless, we are going to get loaded with Terence McKenna. Freedom is in the mind.
2: I think it's summertime, and it's no crime. To smoke, big and See, I'm feeling fine. I say it's winter time, and it's no crime. To smoke, big and See, I'm feeling fine. And I'm a big man with a big smile. I have no problem at all. I am a big man with a big smile. When I go